who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. You are listening to Episode 9 of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 18, Diurnia Orbital, December 22, 2372. Rise and shine, Miss Arione. I banged on a door at 0700. Uniform of the day is ship suit. I heard a muffled curse from the other side and took that as a sign she was awake. I'd agreed not to leave the room without her to guard my body, but I already grew tired of the routine and did not see the need. I'd been up since 05 bladder and was desperate for my coffee. The colored water in the room didn't quite cut it, so I hadn't wasted the time. For two stands, I reviewed my business charter, went through the packet of documentation and keys from Kirsten, and generally gazed out at space, trying to think of how to differentiate my fledgling company from the rest. To her credit, Ms. Arione was up, dressed, and out of her room by 0710. She didn't look happy about it, but she was moving. Cheer up, Ms. Arione, you're not standing watch. I'm not complaining, Skipper, just trying to get my eyes open. You're the one with the don't-leave-the-room-without-me fetish. Sar, every stand that passes, you're becoming more known. Yes, Miss Arione, but this whole bodyguard thing, it's just a bit over the top, don't you think? Kirsten has a bodyguard, Sar. She thinks it's over the top, too. Jeff Maloney had a bodyguard, Skipper. You don't think he thought it was over the top, do you? Jeff Maloney was also a member of the Confederated Planets Joint Committee on Trade. He was a lot more than just a ship captain. So are you, sir. I'm not even that at the moment, Miss Arione. You need your coffee, sir. Perhaps we should go find some. We need to go check out the ship and see what we need to get started there. Coffee first, sir. You're grumpy without your coffee. I was actually thinking about breakfast, Miss Arione. Any place but over easy, sir. My eyebrows shot up. Why? Don't you like Over Easy? I like it a lot, but you were there yesterday about this time. You shouldn't go there again today, Sar. Too much of a pattern. I groaned. Now, do you really think somebody is going to be after me at breakfast? Oh, they got your picture yesterday, Sar. Yes, after you gave them the setup by mugging me in the promenade. I shook my head. We're not going to be able to keep them from taking my picture, Miss Arione, not when I'm in a public place and not when I'm a public figure, which in about five more standard days I will become if the predictions come true. 
I know, Skipper, but that money is going to draw the crazies. You're not going to be just another clipper, Captain. Enough. Let's find breakfast. She led the way out of the suite, and we were soon in a pleasant enough diner on Deck 5. The place had just barely opened and obviously catered to a later rising crowd than over easy. At first, Ms. Arione refused to join me for breakfast. Sar, she said quietly, and in her I'm-being-reasonable voice, I'm your bodyguard, not your dining companion. I need to be alert for threats. Sit down and order breakfast, Miss Arione, or you will be my ex-bodyguard. She sat, and the hostess regarded us with a bit of a nervous smile flickering on her mouth like an out-of-phase neon sign. Ellie will be your server. She'll be right over with coffee. I nodded and smiled at her. Thank you. Coffee would be most welcome. I looked across the table to where a very distraught Miss Arione tried to look in all directions at once and sighed. Miss Arione, thank you for your diligence, but you're not going to be any good to me, hungry, thirsty, and drawing attention to us all the time by behaving like a bodyguard. She looked startled. I'm not going to live in this paranoid envelope of fear, Miss Arione. You're my crew. You asked to come along with me. And I went along with you because Captain Thomas and Mr. Wyatt seemed to think I needed an assistant and an extra pair of eyes. Seesaw? Even they thought you needed a bodyguard. Yes, I suppose they did. But so far, the only one who's really threatened me with violence on the last couple of days, Miss Arione, is you. She sighed and hung her head. I'm sorry about that, Sar. That was inappropriate. She looked up at me. But you scared the gym socks off me. When I couldn't find you, I really did think somebody had grabbed you. I appreciate that, Miss Arione, but that's my point. The waitress came over, went through the server song and dance, and I finally got a cup of coffee. Sipping gratefully, I was less than happy to find another bad cup of coffee. I sighed, placed my order for an omelet, and tried not to think of the breakfast I could be having instead. I looked back at Ms. Arione, momentarily thrown off conversational course by the disruption. "'What's your point, Sar?' Ms. Arione asked after a few moments had passed. The thought returned, and I continued. Your mindset predisposed you to misinterpret what you saw. That incorrect interpretation caused your emotional reaction, which in turn drove you to pursue an improper response. You're not sitting there calling me an emotional female, are you, Captain? She was on the verge of a front. I most certainly am not, Miss Arione. I'm merely suggesting that the fear you have reported as your motivating mindset is not caused by a rational assessment of the risk as much as it is by the bodyguard framing of your operational context. What? Her eyes were focused on my lips as if she could see the meaning if she only watched my mouth closely enough. You're approaching this as if I'm at risk. You have gotten more and more paranoid as we've gone along. She started to object, but I held up my hand. Peace, Miss Arione. I'm not saying a bit of situational awareness is a bad thing. What I'm saying is that when you let fear rule your life, your life isn't worth keeping. You were looking for something bad to happen to me. You saw my room, and your expectation caused you to jump to the conclusion that I'd been kidnapped. That conclusion was not only false, but dangerous. Because by acting on that conclusion, you exposed me to greater risk, a risk that was actualized by that ridiculous newsy photo. Ellie brought our meal, and I ate, but my heart wasn't in it. The omelet was watery, overcooked, and filled with a bland yellow cheese with a few shreds of ham. Even the toast was limp. I took a few bites while Ms. Arione sat stiffly across from me, her eyes alternately scanning the room and glaring at me. Eat, Ms. Arione. I pointed to her plate with my fork. You're going to need your strength, and it's going to be a long time until lunch. I really don't think... 
Her voice choked off when she saw the look on my face. Aye, aye, sir, she finished. She took up her fork and picked at her meal while her eyes continued their not terribly furtive survey of the room. I sighed and finished the tasteless meal, thumbing the tab and making an exit as soon as possible. By 0810, we'd made it to the maintenance locks, and I keyed the access code for Dock 3. I wasn't sure what I'd find, but when the lock swung open, the brief wash of ship air smelled normal. I led the way up the ramp and snapped on the lights. Ugh. I turned to look at Miss Arione. She looked about the lock, an expression of disdain on her face. Her mouth screwed into a bitter grimace. This is what we call a fixer-upper, Miss Arione. Are you sure this ship is safe, sir? Chief Gerhardt said it was. I heard her sigh. Well, if the chief says it's okay. We walked into the wide cargo vestibule and peered out into the gloomy cargo bay. The lights from the brow didn't quite light up the space, casting a dim glow only part way into the hold and leaving a large black nothing beyond. It looks bigger than it is, Miss Arione. Skipper, I don't know how to break this to you. As a cargo hold? Let's just say I think my cell and the brig looked bigger. She's rated at just under ten metric kilotons, Miss Arione, less than one of the Agamemnon's cans. It doesn't need to be too big. Secretly, I shared her reservations. But we have work to do, Miss Arione. This is going to be home for a while. She sighed. I knew it was too good to last. What? Hotel living, Skipper. Those beds are wonderful. I laughed and started up the ladder. This way, Miss Arione. We need to get to the bridge and get logged aboard. At the top of the first ladder, I spotted a glow plate on the bulkhead and managed to get the lights on. The longitudinal corridor looked very long and exceptionally plain when viewed from the bow. The airtight door at the end seemed a long way away, but I had a good idea how quickly that distance would shrink once we got underway. Did these people never clean? Miss Arione muttered, her finger leaving a track in the grime on the bulkhead. That's money right there, Miss Arione. Sir? She looked up at me in confusion and looked at the smudge on her fingertip. If this ship were clean, it would cost more. I nodded at her finger. Every gram of dirt is money in the bank for now. How long do we have to leave it like this, Sar? Her nose wrinkled in distaste. Until the engineering report gets filed, Miss Arione. When will that happen? Well, I think it happened yesterday, but we'll know soon. I headed up the ladder to the bridge. Let's light a fire in the hearth and see what we need to do to move in. Sar? I could hear the alarm in her voice as she scampered up the ladder behind me. Pardon my saying so, Sar, but I don't think a fire is a good idea. It's a figure of speech, Miss Arione. Really, Skipper? I've never heard it. I'm old, Miss Arione. I know old stuff. Skipper, you're not that old. Well, yeah, you are, but... Oh, you know what I mean, Sar. I gave her a fishy eyeball and followed it with a grin. It's okay, Miss Arione. I pulled a data chip from the packet Miss Kingsley had forwarded and slotted it into the console. The device mounted, and key accepted blinked twice on the screen before system's administration menu came up. Okay, then. Is everything all right, sir? Oh, yes, Miss Arione. I looked up to where she stood looking over my shoulder. I'm surprised that Miss Kingsley was so trusting, but this should give us any access we need to take care of the ship. Trusting, Captain? I nodded, gazing at the console. She's given us the owner's key. It's the one that overrides the captain. You mean she's given you the ship? In effect, Miss Arione, other than the paperwork needed to actually transfer title, we can do anything with this ship we want. What do we want to do, Skipper? I could hear the confusion in her voice, and I realized she didn't quite grasp the enormity. I let it go and focused on the present. We want to establish me as captain. 
you as crew, and then bring up shipnet for our tablets. I put my fingers on the dirty keyboard and started filling in the blank fields. Then what, Captain? Then we start. My answers were shortened as I focused on getting my credentials entered correctly. Start what, sir? I filed the changes, and the ship's operational screens came up. Looking over my shoulder with a grin, I said, We start making a list of things that need doing. Can we clean first, sir? As much as it pains me to say so, Miss Arioni, no. Not until we have the engineering report filed that itemizes just how bad this ship is. You're not planning on sleeping here, are you, sir? The revulsion was clear in her tone. Not tonight, no, Miss Arioni. I laughed at the look of relief on her face. But we need to do our own survey of the ship and see what needs doing. She stood up straight and put her fists on her hips, looking around the bridge. It does have potential, doesn't it, Skipper? She said after a few heartbeats. I think so, Miss Arioni, but we need to find a way to stand out in the crowd. She gave me one of her exasperated looks and bit back whatever comment might have been behind it. Instead, she took a deep breath and let it out slowly, surveying the bridge once more. Okay, Skipper. Where do we begin? I pulled up my tablet and made sure it was linked to the ship net. Are you on the network now, Miss Arioni? She followed my lead and checked her connections. Yes, sir. Okay, then. There's a schematic under ship status. Got it. Now we can find our way around. I'd suggest addressing the problem systematically, starting with a visual inspection of the inside of the ship from top to bottom. It'll be incomplete until we can get a specialist to check the tankage, but the engineering report should tell us about that. Then the outside, sir? I shook my head. Then the systems, Ms. Arioni. Data, power, gravity, air, water, sails, and keel. I grinned at her. Then I'll probably put on a suit and go look outside. How long do we have to get this done, Captain? She eyed the schematic dubiously. This is a lot of volume for just the two of us to cover. I'm not sure, Miss Arioni. We have a couple of weeks before Ames Jarvis makes it back to the orbital. Then what, sir? I think, when that happens, we need to be already underway. Her head snapped around, and I thought her eyes might bug out of her head. Well, we best get cracking, shouldn't we, sir? Excellent idea, Miss Arioni. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com realm, all lowercase. 
go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Chapter 19, Diurnia Orbital, December 22, 2372. We started on the bridge and worked systematically through the ship doing a full inspection. We worked from compartment to compartment, from the top down, from the bow aft, and from port to starboard in a deliberate sweep. We documented every ding, dent, stain, broken switch, and missing light panel. We noted where the grime had built up in the corners of the decks and where the cruft had accumulated on every surface. We looked down drains, up air vents, and inside anything with an inspection hatch, carefully noting which fasteners had stripped threads and where the covers were sprung. It was slow going, and we only managed to do the bridge, captain's cabin, and galley before we had to take a break. The chrono on my tablet read nearly 1300, and it had been a long morning. The galley took the longest because of all the fixtures, appliances, storage areas, coolers, chillers, and freezers. When we finally finished that area, we collapsed on the cleanest-looking seats at the table. After dragging ourselves through the encrusted grime and crud in the storage areas of the galley, the incremental dirt seemed minor. We didn't plan on serving lunch, but needed a place to take a load off for a few ticks to compare notes. As we settled, carefully holding our tablets up off the table, Ms. Arione started snickering. Humor, Ms. Arione? I'm impressed. I was just thinking it wouldn't hurt to clean the table and maybe a couple of chairs, and then I realized... She paused, arching an eyebrow at me. We have no cleaning gear? Got it the first time, Skipper. I chuckled and tried to focus on the immediate problems. All right, Ms. Arione, we need food. It's been a long time since that poor excuse for breakfast, and it'll be a longer time still before dinner. How do you want to do it, Captain? I'm thinking we need to get off the boat for a bit, get some fresh air, a decent meal, and come back in about a stand ready to hit it again. She surveyed the crufty-looking mess deck, and I saw her shudder. I knew how she felt. The thought of eating on the mess deck gave me the shudders, too. She pretended to look at her tablet while she watched me under lowered brows. How would you like to handle your security, sir? I sighed and smudged a hand over my skull. Well, Ms. Arione, I think if we just take it easy, amble along, don't call a lot of attention to ourselves by being conspicuously on guard, we'll be fine. And if not, Captain? Well, if somebody tries, I think they're going to be surprised at just how sharp your claws are, Ms. Arione. Sir? Miss Arione, with you playing guard dog all the time, you're the obvious guard. Anybody who wanted to do anything to me would deal with you first, or at least at the same time. Your posture isn't protecting either of us. It's painting a target on your chest, so the bad guys know they need to neutralize you before they can make a play for me. What are you suggesting, Skipper? You have an advantage that I think we can use to our benefit. What's that, sir? You don't look terribly intimidating. Her eyes turned cold and she glared across the table. And you see that as an advantage, Captain? I had to give her her due. Angry as she was, she kept it in check. I smiled at her. That's not an insult, Miss Arione. You lack the physical stature of the beefy boys and which most people associate with intimidation. You're not obviously armed, although I assume that you are, in fact, quite heavily. Yes, I am, but what has that got to do with not being intimidating? please. You know what you look like. You're a young woman of slightly shorter than average height with a nice figure and a wiry frame. Most people will look at you and think, nice girl, right? Yes, sir, I suppose that's true, but I fail to see how that's an advantage. 
She didn't seem pleased by my assessment, but at least she stopped glaring. Think of it as protective coloration, Miss Arione. You and I know you are quite deadly. I paused for her to nod. How would anybody else know by looking at you? I guess they wouldn't, sir. So, you are a weapon, hidden in plain sight, Miss Arione. A pretty young woman who couldn't possibly be a match for an assailant, and who can, therefore, be written off in the planning of any assault. Anybody who thought that would be in for a very nasty surprise, Captain, I can promise you that. Yes, Miss Arione, that's precisely my point. But your effectiveness as a stealthed weapon is degraded as soon as you identify yourself as dangerous by asserting this security stance whenever we're in public. I paused to let it sink in a bit before continuing. Not only is it irritating to be around, but you identify yourself as an opponent rather than blending into the scenery where you can strike without warning. I could see her considering it, and I didn't push until my stomach rumbled loud enough for her to hear it across the table. She giggled at that. Okay, Skipper, how do you want to handle it? Keep alert. Watch my back. I'll watch yours. We're captain and crew wherever we go. Nothing else. I won't make you carry my baggage, and you won't try to outspook Adrian Alvarez. You'll be at my side when it's appropriate to be, and we will have to take a few risks in low-probability environments like the offices of Larks, Simpson, and Green. I could see her thinking it over. She frowned at me, but nodded slowly. Okay, Captain, let's see if it works. Thank you, Miss Arione, and please tell me in private if it causes a problem. Okay, Skipper. Now, can we get something to eat? This table is beginning to look appetizing. Oh, that's disgusting, Captain. I think so too, Miss Arione, so let's find some real food before there's a tragedy. Before we left the ship, I trotted up to the bridge and retrieved the owner's key from the console. As a registered captain, my keys worked on the ship as a whole, but didn't permit me to change the ownership. As I came down the ladder with it in my hand, Miss Arione eyed me. What are you going to do with that, Skipper? I thought about it for a moment, then tossed it to her. Put it in your pocket and zip it closed. She caught it by reflex, but I thought she might drop it when she realized what I'd given her. Me? Her voice came out in a squeak. Why not? We can't leave it aboard. That's very bad form. If somebody steals the ship, we have no key to reclaim it. We don't have any place to store it here at the moment, and I'm the obvious choice, so you carry it. Nobody would expect I'd trust a ship key to a pretty young woman like you. She shook her head and slipped a small data card into the shoulder pocket in her ship suit. A quick tug of the zipper saw it securely fastened, and she even felt its outlines through the fabric. Captain, I thought you didn't bluff. I don't, Miss Arione. She patted the pocket at her shoulder. Then what do you call this? Strategic misdirection. She smiled at that. All righty then, Skipper. Let's go find some food. We left the ship, secured it behind us, and headed off the maintenance docks. We went down to the O2 deck looking for a late lunch, but Miss Arione shook her head as I started for over easy. You ate there yesterday, Skipper. Let's find someplace different today. Would that be okay? I granted her the point, and we strolled around the promenade until we hit the next noodle shop and settled for noodles, steamed vegetables, and broth. In a swarm of spacers, the only thing that made us even slightly different was that I wore Captain Stars and was eating with a naval spacer. Just another day at the docks, nothing too notable in the workaday world. We compared notes while we ate and made sure we both had all the mechanical faults noted. Cleaning would be the easiest to deal with, but the mechanics would require parts and tools. We'd need to finish our inventory before we'd know what we'd need or how much might be already available. Any chance Miss Kingsley would send us a copy of the engineering report, sir? I shrugged and fired a query off to DST's home office. All she can say is no, I suppose, Miss Arione. As an interested buyer, I have some prerogative in terms of acquiring known faults and flaws with the vessel. And as soon as she sends it to you, we can begin cleaning? She had a pleading look in her eyes. 
Perhaps not quite that soon. It'll depend on how fast we get our own little laundry list completed. She stood up and brushed a napkin down the front of her ship suit. In that case, Captain, let's get back to it. I grinned, slurped the last of my noodles out of the bowl, and followed her out. I made her stop at the chandlery on the way back, and I picked up a six-pack of water. As promised, I didn't make her carry it as we made our way back to the ship. We made excellent progress in the afternoon, picking up with the crew's berthing areas and passenger cabins. The operational flaws consisted of light switches, data terminals, heads, mattresses, and surfaces. Most of them were just filthy. I wouldn't have wanted to sleep on any of those mattresses, but there weren't any obvious flaws in the mechanics of the ship. When we reached the aft end of the first deck, we went forward again to the bow and down to the main deck level, leaving the engine room for last. I'd seen it once, and I had a feeling it would take at least a whole day, if not specialized knowledge, to really give it a going over. The most complicated part of the main deck was the lock and watch station. The embargo and guest locker stood unlatched and empty. The main lock mechanism worked very well, and we even released the logs and exercised the big 10-meter lock door that would allow forklift access directly into the cargo bay of the ship. It was an odd sight, standing on the docks with a large door opened up all the way and seeing all the way to the back of the ship. So that's why the console's mounted on the bulkhead. Miss Arione stood beside me, admiring the gaping maw. Yes, indeed. If there were a watch desk, it would be in the way, and with the short crew, keeping portside watches is a problem anyway. She nodded slowly as she considered it. I can see that, Skipper. We moved back into the ship and closed the big locks, securing the safety lugs again and moving back into the hold proper to continue our inspection. Other than a really impressive collection of dense dings and scrapes, we found nothing wrong in the whole area. Even the tie-down points and stanchion braces were in good order. As we finished our survey of the aft bulkhead with the hatches into spare storage, I was surprised to see that it was already 1730. I looked over to where Ms. Arione leaned her back against the bulkhead, working her shoulders back and forth against the tie-down. It looked odd, but she was obviously enjoying it. I don't know about you, Ms. Arione, but I'm ready for a hot shower, a warm meal, and a cold drink. Not necessarily in that order. Mmm, she gave a little moan. Sounds wonderful, Skipper. That hotel bed is going to feel great tonight. I chuckled and nodded my agreement. Indeed it is. We headed back to the Lagrange point, being careful to secure the ship behind us, and made it back by 1800. As we walked into the suite, having run the gauntlet of disapproving looks from the bellman, concierge, and desk clerk, no doubt for our disreputable appearance, I held out my hand to Miss Arione. Key, please? I'd like to lock it in the room safe. She nodded, opened her shoulder pocket, pulled the key out, pressing it carefully into my palm. Thank you, Miss Arione. How is the security arrangement working out for you? She stopped at the door to her room and turned back to look at me, brow furrowed in thought. It's okay, Captain. At least it was today. I didn't notice anybody paying us any particular mind on the O2 deck, and the only people who looked at us cross-eyed were the hotel staff here. You can't blame them for that, Miss Arione. We need to shed these suits before we soil something expensive. She laughed and slipped into her room, latching the door behind her. I headed for a hot shower of my own. Chapter 20, Diurnia Orbital, December 23, 2372 We avoided the bodyguard issue at breakfast by ordering room service. The coffee wasn't horrible, and at least the eggs had eggs in them. The bacon was limp, but serviceable, and they brought enough to feed five people. Morning also brought a fresh round of newsies. Ms. Arione handed me her tablet across the breakfast table. Somebody had taken a picture of the stormy Ms. Arione at breakfast. The caption was, Cradle Robbing Captain? I sighed and handed the tablet back to Ms. Arione. It's always a question. 
That way nobody can say they're committing libel, I think, sir. Well, in addition to this new affront to our august person, we also received the engineering reports. I emphasized the plural. More than one, sir. Yes, Miss Arioni, one might be suspect, but two experts reviewing the craft make the findings practically unassailable. And do you think Mr. Jarvis will assail them when he gets back from Brakehall? I think he'd like to try, but these look pretty conclusive. And the verdicts are? Ship is a wreck. Sail generators shot. Fuse actors need relining. Control systems dated. It's rather a long list of disgusting problems. I grinned as I saw the date on the first report. This one even mentioned scrubber failure. Miss Arioni frowned. I didn't notice any problem with the air. That's because you weren't there when the filter cartridges topped off and turned moldy. Oh. That day I took Chief Gerhardt to see the ship. They'd failed completely. Ew. It doesn't quite describe it. What a mess. Why are you so happy, Skipper? I thought you wanted to buy this ship. I do, Miss Arioni. Even as bad as it is? Most of these things are minor annoyances. I don't know who she got to do the inspections, but they agree the ship should go to the breakers and give a scrap value of about forty million. She squinted at me across the breakfast table. Are you saying they cooked the reports? Not in the least. Everything on here, at least as nearly as I can tell, is actually wrong with the ship. It's a case of too many little things wrong, and after a while those add up. But that report makes the value look a bit low, doesn't it? I looked at the reports again. Perhaps a bit, but the genius in them is getting the ship declared scrap. She shook her head. I don't get it, sir. An operational vessel in this class? Even one in as rough shape as this one is? It would fetch nearly forty million on the open market. That much I get, sir. By declaring it only worth scrap, these engineers opened the way for Kirsten to clear the hull off her spreadsheet for less than half that price, take a write-off adjustment on her balance sheet, and maybe even get a tax credit or something. It doesn't sound like it would be good for the company, sir. In gross numbers, it seems like a lot of credits, more than I'll have even after the Chernyakova sells. But in relative terms, on the scale that DST operates on, they've got 18 ships, and each one is worth an order of magnitude more than the Jezebel. This write-down amounts to rounding error at the end of their year. But, sir, Kirsten is basically tossing, what, 50 million credits? Something like that. It's all number shuffling at this level anyway. I suspect the company makes more in a day than the amount of the write-down against the hull. But why, sir? You said they wanted a big favor before. I was just talking about this suite. You're talking about enough credits to buy the hotel. I twisted my mouth a bit. Well, not quite that many. I suspect the hotel is a going concern. It would cost plenty to buy. But, yes, they want a very big favor, one that I don't really want to get into now. It's big. I know what it is. I've sort of agreed to do them this favor if I can get a ship. The ship part, the Jezebel, being the carrot they're holding out for you, sir. Precisely, Miss Arioni. She scraped the last of the scrambled egg from her plate without taking her eyes off me. Finally, she finished chewing and shook her head. All I can say is, you better come through for them, or they'll make what little is left of your life thoroughly miserable. Thank you for that cogent assessment, Miss Arioni. I think so, too. We finished off most of the breakfast and stacked the dishes on the tray. By 0700, we were on the lift heading down to the O2 and the chandlery to place an order for consumables. In less than a stand, I had about a pallet worth of goods ordered and paid for out of my new business account. The chandlery promised delivery later in the day. Why didn't we take some cleaning gear with us, sir? Miss Arioni asked as we headed for the docking bay. We've still got the engine room to survey, and I don't want to telegraph to anybody that we're doing anything more than caretaker duties on this ship. I haven't seen anybody, Skipper. 
I haven't either, Miss Arione, but that doesn't mean they're not there. It only took a few ticks to make the now-familiar trip to the maintenance docks, and when we got to the ship, we started in on the engine room, picking up the inventory where we left off. When we got the lights on in the engine room, Miss Arione eyed the deck dubiously. That piece of deck looks freshly clean, sir. Is that the scrubber? Yes, and it was an unholy mess here for a while. Miss Kingsley and I were covered in slime by the time we got off the ship. Miss Kingsley? Does she know anything about ships? Only fleet actions, I think. I made a note to check her background and kicked myself for not thinking of it before. Let's start in this corner, Miss Arione, and work port to starboard, bow to stern again. This time, don't try the control panels. Some of them are overrides to equipment we don't want running while docked. She straightened up and looked around nervously. I'm not going to fry anything, am I? It's unlikely, Miss Arione, but just deal with light switches. I'll exercise what I can. What we really need is an engineer to fire up some of this stuff. The engine room proper didn't take as much time as I thought it might, and we finished our first survey before noon. We slipped out for a quick bowl of noodles on the O2 deck and were back by 1300. The spares closet was another matter, and I took the time to fire up the ship's inventory system as a base and had Miss Arione walk through the screens while I counted and sorted. The ship had a few more spares than appeared at first glance, but there were some conspicuous absences, notably the sail generator coils, which probably explained why the sail generator was out of phase. The ship was also out of lubricating oil, fuel filters, water filters, and spare systems boards. Is that serious, sir? Miss Arione asked when we'd finally gotten through the rather long list. We won't be getting underway without them, Miss Arione, but the water filters are the most critical. If the rest of the ship is any indicator, we should replace those now, before we try to drink the water. With shipnet up and running, it was a simple matter to place an order for a stack of six water filters of the proper dimensions. I found the correct part number in the ship's store's database and flashed the order to the chandlery for pickup. Miss Arione, would you go pick them up, please? Just the filters. Is there anything else we need, Skipper? I think anything else can wait, and you won't be too conspicuous carrying them. I can stay here in case the cleaning supplies show up. Sure thing, Skipper. She scampered forward through the store's closet and headed for the bow. Less than a tick later, I heard the lock cycle, and I was alone in the ship. I sauntered forward through the empty and echoing cargo hold, marveling in the feeling of being the only person aboard. And all my stanniers in the fleet. I don't think I had ever been the only person on the ship. On the Agamemnon, there were a couple of occasions where I knew Mr. Hill and I were the only people aboard, but this was somehow different. I found myself smiling, and I didn't know why. It felt like madness, but I really began to think I'd pull it off. The thought of being tens of millions of credits in debt was daunting, but somehow unreal. I climbed the ladder to the mess deck and pulled one of the bottles of water out of the chiller where we'd stashed it the day before. I tried not to look at the inside of the chiller. It would need a good scrub down before I'd be comfortable putting real food in it, but the water bottle seemed safe enough, provided I didn't think too much about it. The mess deck configuration was an interesting melding of styles that I'd seen in the past. There was one large table mounted on the deck, but instead of the benches that we had on the Agamemnon, this table had deck-mounted chairs. Somebody with long or short arms, or legs for that matter, would find this arrangement awkward, and I wondered at it. We'd already surveyed the cooktop and other fixtures in the galley, and I knew they would serve well enough. They were not new, but they were still in good shape. I stood in the galley, in front of the cooktop, and looked back over the mess deck. It was about ten meters square with a relatively generous overhead. I crossed to the far bulkhead and held out my arms to get a rough measure for where I wanted the repeater to go. The success of that particular innovation on the Agamemnon made me believe it would be doubly important on the Jezebel. The engineer and I would be the only officers, and I expected I would spend a lot of time on the mess deck. As I looked around the rather drab area, I wondered what we could do to liven it up. 
A small crew and a few passengers meant we didn't need much, but it also meant we should make it as comfortable as possible. I stepped out into the passage and looked down the length of the ship to the hatch at the far end. Cleaning and fresh paint would make a world of difference in terms of the dingy appearance, and I wondered if we should carry only cargo, perhaps using the extra cabin space for small cargoes that we could hand-carry up the ladder. Something gnawed at the back of my mind, something triggered by thinking about stores and ladders. I looked back into the mess deck, and that's when it hit me. There had to be a way to get the food stocks up to the first deck from the main, other than physically manhandling every case of food up the ladder. Before I could address the issue, the lock's call buzzer rattled the proverbial walls. I made a note to adjust the audio level later, but hustled down to see who was at the door before they rang it again. A couple of delivery men in chandlery coveralls stood outside. They had a pallet of goods that I could see included at least the case of wipes I'd ordered, along with the handles of mops and brooms. I keyed the lock open, and the two stepped back to give it room to slide. They waved when they saw me standing just inside, and the one with the tablet came up with a friendly nod. You Captain Wong? Ordered some supplies? Yeah, thanks for bringing them. He held out the manifest for me to see. You want to check it? I took it from him, and his partner pushed the lifter up and over the threshold into the ship. It only took a couple of ticks for me to verify the list against the load and thumb the tab. So you're taking over the jezzy? The lead man asked. I'm just taking care of it for the moment. DST's thinking about selling her. Oh, do tell. Looks might worse for wear in places. He looked around, eyeing the broken console in particular. You want this in the galley? He nodded at the load. Please. The lead man crossed to the ladder and pulled open a recessed cover in the deck. He reached down and twisted something inside. With a humming hydraulic sound, the entire ladder, including the landing at the top, began to collapse until it lay flush against the deck, railings and all. The driver slipped the grav pallet over the area where the landing lay flat and locked it down. He nodded to the lead man, who twisted the handle back. The ladder rose again and locked into place with a clunk. The two of them scampered up the ladder and disappeared into the galley with the pallet. In less than a tick, they were back. The lead man scampered down the ladder while the driver positioned the pallet again and locked it down. He came down, and the lead reached down, twisted once more, lowering it to the deck. While the driver fetched the pallet, the lead man must have seen the expression on my face. What, you didn't expect that, eh? I shook my head. No, I didn't. Higby has some funny ideas, but that's one of the damnedest ones. Their designers realized the ladder would be in the way of the cargo hold. With that galley on the first deck, they needed a way to get supplies up there, to kill two birds with one stone, as it were. I nodded in admiration. So when you're loading cargo, just flatten the ladder and roll it in. Yep, just so. Nothing to bump, nothing to get in the way. He nodded his head toward the upper deck. They made the hydraulic system hefty enough to lift a pallet of frozen food or two while they were at it. Makes it a lot easier fetching groceries, huh? Oh, indeed. Thanks for the tip. He knuckled his brow and nodded. The driver skidded the empty pallet off the ship, and the lead man followed. I keyed the lock closed behind them and turned to look at the ladder. I wonder what else I've missed, I said, to no one in particular. Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad, and is used with permission of the artists. You can find this and other works by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. license. For more information about the book, the author, or the golden age of the Solar Clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com. <laughs>